Hello and welcome to the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, that masked man who would like to speak to the commissioner, Stephen Foxworthy. And joining me as always, you know, anyone can co-host a podcast, but it takes a real man to do it in satin. It's my co-host, Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Hello, Stephen. How are we doing tonight, buddy? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? Oh, about the same. It's been a long day, but you know what, Brett? The weekend is almost upon us. And with the weekend, we have a brand new superhero movie coming to theaters because, of course, we do. Uh, this time, it is the new Black Panther film, Wakanda Forever. Uh, and so, in honor of that, Brett, what are we talking about tonight? We are talking about Blank Man. That's right. We're talking about the 1994 superhero comedy film Blank Man, directed by Mike Bender and starring Damon Wayans, David Allen Greer, John Polito, Robin Givens, Jason Alexander, the great Lynn Thigpen, Christopher Lawford, Nick Carello, Harris Pete, Arsenio Hall, Tony Cox, Michael Wayans, and Damon Wayans Jr. What a cast, Brett. What a picture. What a picture, all right. Oh, boy, howdy. And uh, are we ever going to talk about it? But first, before we dig too, too deep into this, uh, Brett, this, of course, is a, a film from David Allen Greer and Damon Wayans, two stars of the uh, hit television show In Living Color, uh, shortly after that show uh, finally wrapped. Do you have, what? what is your exposure to this film, to In Living Color, to Damon Wayans, to David Allen Greer, like, what is what is your history there? Um, being a white kid that grew up in the '90s, not much, right? Um, although I do watching this movie unlocked a lot of memories. I don't know why. I think it was because it was a it was in heavy rotation on Sundays and Saturday matinee movies on cable, and it was. I seem to always have it on in the background. So. Yeah, this one was a this was a Comedy Central uh, rotation for me. I uh, I got I got to watch this one a, a few times on Comedy Central uh, growing up. So um, it's not one that I re remembered all that well. There are a few moments from it that I remembered specifically. Um, yeah, same, same. What what were the what were the standout moments that kind of struck those memory bells for you? There was a bunch. Um, I can't think of them all off the top of my head right now, but just, you know, so lines more than anything, just lines of dialogue more so than any specific scene. There, there were three that really stood out to me as, as really kind of triggering the memory bells for me. It's the, I would like to speak to the commissioner scene for whatever reason, that one just kind of lodged itself in the old brain pan. That was one that I remembered quite, uh, quite a bit. Uh, I remembered, the uh, the only my suit is bulletproof scene. Um, and I also remembered the uh, what do you think? This is a boil on my ass. I can't feel anything from the from the, the waist down when he pours the hot coffee on Jason Alexander's lap. Like those were three that kind of really triggered the memory bells uh, for me in particular um, on this watch through. But uh, but yeah, like I so I knew I had. Oh, in the um, Quieres uh, Papas Fritas con tu hamburguesa. 
uh, when he's speaking Spanish for some reason at McDonald's. That one, I I remembered that as well. So four, four moments that really kind of hit the memory bells for me. But yeah, not not a movie that I sought out much as a kid, but I remember seeing it advertised everywhere in the comic books and the kids magazines that I was reading in the, in the mid nineties. Yeah. I mean, as heavily as this movie, as much as an homage to Batman, mainly sixties, Batman, but correct. Just a bunch of Batman going on on top of this. I don't know what it is. Like eighties movies have a specific feel to them. Nineties mm-hmm. movies have a specific feel to them. Mm-hmm. This, the nineties is dripping off of this film it's all over the place. I think nowhere are the nineties more dripping off of this movie than if we can just kind of skip ahead a little bit, than the scene where they're watching the, the, the daytime talk show hosted by Greg Kinnear in his very first ever film role, by the way, which I find absolutely hilarious. And all of the quote unquote superheroes are just named after like who those individuals are as people. Um, there's a uh, Tony Cox, the great Tony Cox plays a, a little person superhero called M word man, um, which feels very reductive. There's a guy in a very stereotypical leather daddy look who's called gay man. Like it's just maybe the most nineties chunk of the movie. Now the whole thing is very nineties, but still like, that part seems like aggressively nineties and in a way that is very uncomfortable in 2022. Most, most nineties movies are, but yeah, this mm, one, mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of uncomfortable moments. Yeah. They really soured me to, to the movie, that one in particular, but yeah, I do. Not yeah, that yeah, that one that one for me was was the big one where I was like, Ugh. there are things about this movie that I really did actually enjoy, though, uh, more than I thought I would, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hate it, uh, but it's not spoilers. It's not I didn't like it either. Um, Fair enough. Um, where, yeah, and that that's kind of where I'm going to end up landing on this one, too, more than likely. Again, not to not to spoil the end of the episode, but it's kind of where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Um uh, did you have any, did you watch In Living Color at all? Did you have any kind of exposure to, I mean, Damon Wayans was kind of beginning his moment. He had left In Living Color, I think a few years before to start a film career. Um, did you have any kind of exposure to Damon Wayans at all? No. Again, as a white child in the 90s, no, of course <laughs> I didn't. Um, other than, you know, whatever managed to seep into the zeitgeist, like Call Me the Clown. Jim Carrey. Right. Um, I mean, you've got his film career, honestly, really kicks off in earnest in about 91, where he stars in the Tony Scott film, The Last Boy Scout. And off the cachet on that, he's in Mo Money, which is kind of his first project where he kind of takes the lead. Um, He has a cameo as himself in The Last Action Hero in 93. uh, And then he's in Blank Man in 94, Major Pain the following year in 95. And then in 96, he's in Celtic or Celtic Pride, sorry, uh, The Great White Hype and Bulletproof. You can tell I'm not a sports fan because I called that movie Celtic Pride instead of Celtic Pride. Um, and then takes a few years off and in that time kind of diminishes a little. 99, he's got Harlem Aria and Goost. And then, of course, the great Spike Lee film Bamboozled in 2000. Um, 
but never kind of hits those those late 90s heights, those mid to late 90s heights ever, ever again. Um, he's not the guy who's really leading movies at that point. And then, um, of course, famously, he got um, fired mid broadcast uh, on SNL for ad libbing uh, in the 80s. Um, he was uh, a performer on SNL and got fired. I remember the uh, the bit that I remember of his on SNL was the angry black comedian um, where uh, he walks out and says, a funny thing happened on my way to the studio. I killed three white people and no one laughs. He goes, I guess you had to be there. <laughs> it's like a star search thing. And then like John Lovitz plays some Jewish comedian, gets up, tells some very like Borscht Belt style jokes. And then they're doing like audience applause to vote for the winner. And the angry black comic just kind of like widens his eyes real big at the audience. And they applaud, like starts going way up and he ends up winning um, because they're all terrified of him is the joke. But I, I just remember thinking that was that was vaguely funny as a child. Yeah. Racism. Hilarious. I mean, I I get the I get the idea that that Damon Wayans had a lot to do with that character. So. You know, I can't I can't make that joke, but he he certainly can. But yeah. Right. I, I have I have a black friend. I can make that joke. No, he, Damon Wayans, black man can make that joke. I, I cannot. I white man. Sure, sure. sure. Cannot make that joke. Will not make that joke. Will recount that joke, but cannot make it. Um, that said, the reason we're talking about blank man tonight, it is not the first black superhero movie that distinction actually goes to meteor man which came out the year before future episode of this podcast meteor man um which is kind of a spoof of superman in a lot of ways um versus this which is again more of a spoof of the 60s batman as you mentioned earlier um but the joke is what if what if the man has the inventive genius of bruce wayne just not the budget um and so this is the the joke here is superheroics on a budget um, I have bulletproof clothing. I use like underwear and sweatpants and use that to fight crime along with my gadgets that are literally made out of trash and things that people bring to the, 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 the fix it up shop where I work. Like that's, that's kind of the gimmick. And honestly, I, I think that element works fairly well to, to my thinking. I think that that is really fun. In theory. Uh, I just kept getting taken out of it. Like every time that there's a gun pointed at his head and it doesn't go off right away, <laughs> I'm just like, he should be dead a million times by now. Both. Of I mean, them the, all the, the main characters in this movie, the heroes, should be dead. Um, the thousand times over. Um, I just, yeah, I can't. The the world's a different place than it was in the early '90s, and vigilante heroes like this on a budget wouldn't live past a day that first sure. encounter in the alley with that gang he's dead and and i think superheroes have like i think i think comics and superhero movies have kind of taken that to a to a logical extreme like we see that probably most recently in um the dark knight the i'm not wearing hockey pads scene you know when the they're they're the the fake batman trying to follow his example and fight the fight crime on the streets of Gotham. That, uh, you know, the difference between Bruce Wayne and everyone else who wants to fight crime and do good is money. Um, so, I mean, that, I, I think that has been addressed, but in 94, that's kind of a novel concept. And I, 
I don't know. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Although I, I couldn't help thinking every time a gun is pointed at his head of the line in Dumb and Dumber where um, Jeff Daniels comes in and he's got the bulletproof vest and then stands up and like fires wildly and doesn't hit a damn thing. Um, and they're like, yeah, but what if he shot you in the face? Like that was, I, I just kept thinking, yeah, well, yeah, but what if he shot you in the face? Yeah. Movie had <laughs> been over. It wasn't that movie. But you know, like you said, this is pre, this is pre kick-ass. This is mm-hmm. pre other examples I can't think of right now. It's, you know, it's, so it was novel for the time, I guess. And it's, I mean, it, 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 it's also the, the notion that there is a, there's a black man fighting crime, which is something that we had not, again, we had only seen on, on film once before since the comic book boom of, of the, of the late eighties, early nineties. Like it took us five or four years after Batman to get a black superhero and the black superheroes that we were getting early on are wholly original creations. There are of course, and have been for decades, black comic book superheroes, but none of them are getting licensed. They're making these kind of whole cloth creations like Meteor Man and Blank Man and putting them kind of out into the ether rather than using existing comic book characters, um, which I, I find that also really fascinating that they would, because those comic books don't have the name recognitions of your Batman, your Superman. Um, it's not really until blade in 99 that we get like a big budget comic book superhero black superhero well no i take that back because you get spawn in 97 and steel comes out in there somewhere too let me all of these minus blade obviously future episodes of this podcast correct yeah um so, okay, Steel is also 97. So Steel and Spawn, we both get in 97. So I guess those technically would be... Uh, but the first one to actually make any money at all is Blade. Like, Blade and, and Kevin Feige rightly credits Blade with saving the comic book movie. And we've talked about that before. 97 is kind of the death knell of the comic book movie. And then uh, Blade is 98, I'm sorry. Um yeah, and Mystery Men is 99. That's the other one. But that one doesn't save the comic book industry or the comic book movie at all. Blade really does. But does have a black superhero in it? It does. It does. In, uh, Invisible Kid. Yeah. Who Whose superpower is that he is only invisible when no one is looking at him. Uh, which is the, the most... I cannot wait to talk about Mystery Men on this podcast. It's coming. We will do it eventually. I've got a great guest lined up for that one. Um, we, we've kind of had to shuffle some things around. It was coming later this year. It'll probably come sometime next year. But yeah, cannot wait for Mystery Men. That one's going to kick ass. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, we're getting kind of to the end of both of our lists of movies we really want to like cover. Um, yeah, that might, is that, that's one of the last ones. We've kind of done most of the others we really wanted to do. So. I mean, I know there are some other ones that you want to cover. The aforementioned Spawn, I know, is is kind of one that you would like to probably dive dive into a little bit. Yeah, full disclosure, audience. Uh, I was given a choice of what to cover this week, and he purposely didn't offer Spawn because he knew I, that's what I would choose. Correct. I want. I, I honestly robbed. I, I, w- I want to save Spawn for when Blade comes out. That feels like the right time. Uh, I, yeah, look, you're right, but I still hate it. <laughs> it's, 
And I, I didn't, I didn't actually offer Blank Man originally either. I think I offered Steel or Meteor Man. And then you were like, well, I don't really like those options. I was like, what, what if, does Blank Man interest you? And you were like, yeah, okay, let's do Blank Man. So that doesn't sound right. I wouldn't have remembered Blank Man off the top of my head. Well, no, I, I offered Blank Man and you were like, oh, okay, well, then I, that one wasn't offered. I'll take Blank Man. And I was like, all right. Oh, we'll yeah, 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 yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause I vaguely remembered. I also vaguely remember Meteor Man as being the same kind of movie that was always on in the background, mm-hmm. constant rotation on some channel. On and again, it was one of those that was uh, constantly advertised. I saw the ads, you know, Robert Townsend in that gray superhero suit with the fake padded muscles. Um, that's another one I'm actually kind of excited to talk about because I get to dig into Robert Townsend a little bit. And that guy is fascinating. Like, I, I think he's a very fascinating creator. So I would I, I relish the opportunity to, to dig into him a little bit. And Robert Townsend, of course, a a black man who comes to Hollywood and realizes, oh, there are no opportunities for black actors and black directors and black filmmakers here. And so he literally carves his own niche out in Hollywood um, and has a good deal of success with it for, for, a, for a hot minute. Um, like his first couple films are very widely acclaimed. And then Meteor Man comes out and that's his crack at a big budget superhero movie. And it does not hit at all, sadly. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to meteor man for sure. But there is in the nineties, at least an attempt being made to bring some big budget black superhero movies to the big screen. The audiences though, with the exception of blade, it takes them until 1998 to really show out for those movies. Like we just kind of ran down a list of big budget black led superhero movies that don't really go anywhere. Uh, and then, of course, a couple of years after that, you get He Who Must Not Be Named X-Men and you get Storm. And there's more of a there, there's more of a call for superhero movies after that. But even then, it takes us a while. I, Blade is the exception. Like there aren't a lot of black superhero movies except for Blade. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I can't also I can't help but also think that like. Like, I don't. Oh, no. It's a good thing that the world has progressed as much as it has because not only were black-led superhero movies not a thing, like women-led superhero movies weren't a thing either. Mm-hmm. Just like because quote movies. women don't sell action figures or you know you you know women action figures never sell. Yeah, I, and I don't know if that was just Hollywood being its usual patriarchal self or if it, I, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, probably you know, or. Or just the public was just generally worse. Um, Well, and I think if the last few years, I think if the last few years of Hollywood filmmaking has taught us anything, it's that representation is not only desired, but profitable. Um, Like you get movies like Crazy Rich Asians and Everything Everywhere All at Once doing larger than expected numbers with Asian-led casts. You get Black Panther becoming one of the highest grossing films of its year, if not the highest grossing film of its year. And then also in addition to that, like being nominated for best picture on top of it, like there is kind of this outcry for representation in cinema. Like people want to see themselves represented on screen. And that's, that's a good thing. I mean, that means that we can start getting more diversity in film, which I think is necessary. Everyone deserves to see themselves represented on screen. And quite frankly, uh, speaking in my capa- official capacity as a cishet white man, um, I've seen a lot of myself on screen. I could I could stand to see some other 
some other different groups of people represented on, on screen, quite frankly. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to spend too much time going after the nerds, but look, like Steven just said, you've had decades of seeing yourself represented on the screen. Maybe, maybe dial it back. You don't really need to anymore. Right. Let some other people have it for a while. Exactly. And it, you know, just because there's representation doesn't mean something is woke, whatever the fuck that means anymore. But no, this is, this is a good thing. It's a sign of progress. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with progress. Um, no, all the assholes that were out here saying She-Hulk sucked just because, oh no, it's it's a woman being a real representation of a woman. Heaven forbid. On, on my screen, heaven forbid. Get that shit out of here. <laughs> Could she be a white man, please? Right. And I think the, the treatment of that show... Uh, the, the way that that show treats nerds of that ilk, um, perfect. Just could not ask for a better for a better representation of that toxic brand of nerd. Like I, I thought that was really, really, and really well handled, really well done. I, I loved that show, um, and honestly, was not expecting to enjoy it just because I'm kind of tired of Marvel. Like I'm, I'm just physically exhausted at the prospect of, of Marvel, but that one was just such a breath of fresh air. I had, I had a blast with that one. Not going to lie. It was good. You, you've still got some, a uh, little bit of your Marvel heart left. I'm a still a nerd, Brett. Like I'm still a, a nerd. There's a little spark of love for the MCU in there somewhere still. It, it exists, man. I'm, I'm a nerd. I love that, that shared, fran- that, that shared universe stuff. I always have, I I'm rereading volume four of league of extraordinary gentlemen right now. Like I, I, I eat that shit with a spoon. Like I love it, but, um, but yeah, I mean just the, the ubiquity of Marvel has just kind of worn on me. And I've, I've talked about that on this podcast. I don't need to rehash that. Go listen to our episode on 2008's incredible Hulk. Um, but you know, that's kind of where I, where I find myself sitting with regard to that. Um, but all that having been said, um, representation in, in film is important. It does matter. And that's why I love filmmakers like Robert Townsend and Damon Wayans really trying to, to go for it and create something new and interesting and fun with these these movies that unfortunately ultimately didn't go anywhere past their their first film so there's this whole run of of black-led superhero films that we will absolutely be discussing in in the days months years to come um because there were unfortunately a lot of them so yeah and only one of them that failed was licensed it's steel and only sort of Mm -hmm. well spawn too well right because I mean that's Image Comics, and Image was having a moment in the '90s. But we'll... it was, well, it was for us nerds. Uh, it's very clear by that movie's box office. General public didn't give two shits what Image was doing. Well, we we can talk more about that when we get to Spawn. Yeah. I think there are other factors at play. My people kind of showed out against it, as my people are wont to do. Um, oh, of course they did. I know. He's, he's he's from hell. He's a hero from hell. How, How dare we? He can't be heroic if he's demonic. That that just doesn't compute. Why can't I, I remember Superman? Remember how he how great he was, and now of course Superman's just as dark and brooding as everyone else. And the Snyder Bros are beating themselves off to that. <clears throat> I'm sorry. What what just happened? <laughs> 
I, I was about to go harder at the Christians and you veered right into back to the nerds again. So good for you. I, I just doing, I'm doing my part. Um, but yeah, so blank man, 1994. Um, and, and I think another thing that makes this really interesting and kind of stand apart from a lot of the superhero movies that we see is that this is blatantly overtly a comedy. Um, this is a comedic, it, it's really a parody of those night, those themselves very goofy and very silly 1960s Batman TV show episodes. Um, and so it, it's kind of taking those and, and riffing off of all of those. And what if, what if there was this guy who is so nerdy and so out of touch that he took all of those things so deathly seriously and decided to use those as his model for super heroics. And it's, it's fucking hilarious. Like I, I think there, again, there are elements and there are, there are moments in this movie that I think hit really, really well. Um, and I, I look forward to, to, to hashing those out with you, Brett. I truly, truly do. But before we get into that, we do have one item of business to take care of first. And that is the plot of this movie. And Brett, I don't know if you remember this. It's, it's been a, a hot minute since we recorded last, but, um, when, when we recount the plot, we usually do that in 60 seconds or less. And we call that the plot in 60 seconds. That is where, at the behest of our friend, the coin of justice, which is a physical coin that I am currently holding in my hands, um, we decide which of us will recount the plot of the movie we are discussing in 60 seconds or less. I have the coin of justice at the ready. Brett, you're going to call it in the air. Would you call it, sir? Heads. And it is heads. Holy so, crap. I know you, I was bracing myself. You were, I could kind of see it on your face. Not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it falls now to me to recount the plot of 1994's blank man. So Brett, if you would be so kind as to put 60 seconds on the clock for me, I would love nothing more. Let me know when you're ready, sir. I am ready when you are. All right, your time starts uh, at this very moment. All right, Damon Wayans and David Allen Greer are two brothers. Damon Wayans is super nerdy, but he's very inventive, uh, but he's socially freaking awkward. Um, he, in fact, he like freaks out and has a full body spasm whenever he gets a boner. Um, but uh, he decides that uh, his neighborhood is uh, too riddled with crime. His grandmother, played by the great Lynn Thigpen, who raised him as kids, um, is is gunned down by a mobster who she uh, says has a tiny penis, played by the great John Polito. Um, and so they go on a rampage to try to um, beat crime. He finds a formula to make his clothes bulletproof and uses that, dresses up, and his brother, who works for a, a kind of an inside edition hard copy kind of program, is keeps trying to stop him. Uh, but eventually, uh, they, they kill the mayor uh, accidentally when he blows up with a bank that they're trying to rob. Ten seconds, I'm sorry. Fuck, man! Um, they they beat the bad guy, uh, Damon Wayans and Robin Givens end up making out, and uh, David Ungrew becomes a superhero at the end. Look, man, I kind of zoned out, okay? I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, you know what? I'm going to take full responsibility for that. That's on me. I disassociated for a second. I didn't you can't do myself. that when you're timekeeping, man. I, look, man, I caught it at about like 15 seconds, and I was like, okay. Oh, I literally saw your head just kind of do that, like, oh, what? Where am I? Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. You just, you just were fully gone there for. Look, man, you did a good job, though. Ish. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, it's not any like it's not any worse than any of us have ever done at any other point. So. Fair enough. We've we, I think we've both had worse showings at the plot in sixty. Let's be honest. No, I absolutely not- have. See Speed Racer as I always <laughs> as we always bring up. Just go that's, benchmark. That's- that is still maybe one of my all-time favorite plot in 60s, just because of how off the rails you end up getting on that one. Um, yeah. I also really love the one from the Three Musketeers episode. Well, just sure. just, just for the line, kill everyone, punch the Cardinal. I mean, yeah, um, that's, uh, that, still need to put that on merch. I don't care, but... To- I don't. I don't know if 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 having our podcast associated with the phrase "kill everyone" is 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 a good look, but uh, look, it's fine. <laughs> is it though? Probably. Who's gonna? Who's gonna care? I don't know, man. Um, but yeah. So that I mean, that is that is blank, man. Uh, it's it's not a super plot heavy movie. It's again, it's very indicative of the '90s. Like it hits kind of all those '90s com- comedy story beats, like. There's the moment when the heroes are doing well. There's the moment when they publicly fail. There's the moment when they are able to regain public trust. There's the love interest. There's the sidekick who's kind of against him the whole time and then kind of comes back. Like, it's it's all there. It's it's baked into the DNA of the thing. So, yeah, it's it, it's very much, again, the, the 90s is, as Brett said, dripping off of this movie. Like, it is it is in every way, an incredibly nineties film for good or ill, maybe for good and ill. This movie is just very much a, a movie of its time. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to say to its detriment, it's a product of its time, but it kind of, it is to its detriment. I think, I think, and again, I think there are pros and cons to that for sure. And I think the cons are a little more noticeable, um, in the harsh light of 2022. Yeah, was, I mean, I don't know. At what point do you just got to go, like we've done for decades now, uh, mm-hmm. you look back on movies of a specific decade and go, well, it's just a product of its time. We don't need to call attention to it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just the time we look back on and go, yeah, that didn't age well. Right. It's It's the, you know, every... Every time you see a disclaimer on a streaming service, it was wrong then, it's wrong now. Um, and and yes, all that is absolutely true. And again, we've talked about this many times on this podcast before. Um, and I, I think, yeah, there are definitely elements of this movie that have not aged particularly well. Um, and then I think there are moments where what has aged well, what has not aged well about them isn't so much the humor so much as the, just the, the way that the films were made at the time and the way that they're made now. Um, like there's a lot of, there, but then again, there are still some things that I think are really interesting. Like it borrows the canted angles and the bright colors of those sixties Batman TV shows and uses them, I think to really fun effects. Like the camera will just kind of, just tilt to the side and you'll get kind of this fun little canted angle on the scene that just kind of makes it feel a little more dynamic. You don't really see that kind of filmmaking much anymore. Do they overuse it? Yeah. hundred percent. By the, by the end of the movie, you're like, Oh, we're canting the angle again. Cool. But you know, the first few times you see it, it feels kind of novel. Um, the, the, the final battle scene between blank man, other guy and the suit. Um, you've got this, it takes place in this very brightly colored factory. That's very well lit. And it feels like those sixties Batman show episodes. Like it, it's got all those elements to it and it's doing 
in, in a way that a lot of 90s movies were doing, kind of poking fun at those elements from things that were popular 30 years ago. And I, I don't know. I, I had a lot of fun with those elements of it. I mean, I did too. Those were mainly the parts I enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. The, the entire scene in the TV station. They get yeah. locked in the, you know, water-filled lotto thing. <laughs> and he's doing his own end-of-episode monologue. Right. Like, Can they escape? Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. It was great. That's where most of my good rating starts and ends. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think... There, there is so the '90s are pretty much known for this kind of deep cynicism. Um, it's, it's kind of one of those things that separates, say, and again, these are things that I love, so don't don't feel like this is necessarily a criticism. But like the '60s Adams Family from the '90s Adams Family, um, like the Adams Family TV show, it's just these people who love the macabre and love the weird. And then the nineties, you get kind of this like cynical it's Wednesday, I think more than anyone that's kind of affected by it. Um, but this kind of like deeply monotone, sarcastic, almost sardonic Wednesday Adams who becomes very much a, a kind of a, of a beacon and a bastion for goths and, and weirdos in the, in the nineties. And that, that that's kind of the '90s cynicism kind of seeping in because '60s Wednesday is that's not her. That's a completely different take on that character, and that's kind of now become the Ballywick for Wednesday in a lot of ways. Like that's what we associate with Wednesday now. Um, and and so you see some of and you see a lot of that, particularly in things from the '90s that are kind of homaging or poking fun at things from the '60s. Like you see that in or the '70s, like the Brady Bunch movie. Or, I mean, any one of those shows or uh, movies that were made from shows in the 60s, like the Beverly Hillbillies or the Mod Squad, both future episodes of this podcast. Like, it, it's those kind of things that you, the little rascals, like you, you kind of see that kind of 90s cynicism kind of seeping into all the pores of the thing. And I think this misses a lot of that cynicism. I think there still are elements of it. But by and large, I think that it's mostly missed there. I mean, yeah, I, this the cynicism is prevalent in a lot of things. Maybe that's where I get a lot of my cynicism from. I mean, we are we were in in our formative years during the nineties, Brett. Yeah, and God knows, I love the Adams family, and I'm definitely a goth at heart. Not outwardly, but I'm definitely. I have, I have a dark soul. As I mean, say. one of your favorite films of all time is Brandon Lee's The Crow, which is, I think, the quintessential goth text, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, which I wouldn't say is cynical. I think it's a pretty uh, optimistic film, really, when you think about it, which is weird. But um, <laughs> Too bad we can't talk about that one. No. I Sometimes I feel like we could because those sequels shouldn't exist. Um, Yet they do. Well, I mean, tragically, the second one at City of Angels isn't that bad, but three and four definitely are. Um, And that who that remake isn't looking good either. Um, Maybe we can cover that one. uh, There's a good possibility uh, because I don't I don't think the world wants the crow anymore. I don't think it. I don't know. I don't feel like that story plays well 
in the world anymore. Perhaps. You want it to. You want it to. Like it's a story about love and you know in a way that only Alex Proyas could tell. Yeah. And, and see our previous episode on Gods of Egypt. Yeah, and it and it's also just that superhero movies are everywhere and Right. I don't know. Maybe 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 the world is ready for like a really dark, gritty superhero with an uplifting message. Maybe. On paper that sounds like people would be into it, but I'm not entirely sure. And and again, it's it's kind of hard to tell what the what the audiences are going to be ready for, you know? It's these things are always kind of a gamble and kind of a guessing game and and like half prognostication. Like obviously no one releases a movie thinking this is going to bomb at the box office. Like, and, and I think in the early nineties and late eighties, the, those gritty dark superheroes were having a moment, at least in comics. And I would say probably at the theaters too, Tim Burton's Batman, the crow. Um, like there's, there's money to be made with those films, um, which makes, I think this movie even more of an anomaly in a weird way. Yeah. Because this is the year before Batman Forever, which is the first of the Schumacher films, which is Schumacher's borrowing more from the Adam West Batman than Burton had done. Burton was seemingly borrowing more from, well, he's really borrowing more from his own influences like German Expressionism and what have you. Um, but in terms of the, the feel of it, it's a little more true to the Frank Miller comics than than it is to the Adam West 60s Batman, which is what Schumacher's borrowing from pretty liberally and this movie borrows from pretty liberally as well yeah whereas one this movie is very clearly an homage Mm -hmm. um because i don't know if i i don't know if i'd go so far to say this is parody i think this is really it it feels more sincere than that Um, i think it's a parody of the kind of superhero movies we had seen up to this point but not really a parody of the Batman show specifically. It's definitely an homage of that while simultaneously still kind of parodying things like the Tim Burton Batman, although not overtly, not as overtly as say something like mall rats would do a few years later. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't feel like there, there were enough superhero movies to parody up to this point. As early as this was in the nineties, it's not as ubiquitous. Um, Maybe that's why they were trying to do their own thing, but mm-hmm. while also doing an homage to sixties Batman. But man, I don't know. I, I lost the plot there. Um, it's okay. It's you know my brain all over the place, dude. It's it's been. I think it's been a long day for the both of us, and that is. It's, it's been okay. a long week. It's been a long week. <laughs> Brett, it's Wednesday. Um. <laughs> Wednesday lemon. <laughs> it's lemon. It's Wednesday. Um, uh, speaking of Alec Baldwin, another '90s superhero movie that we were going to discuss on this podcast, The Shadow. Yeah, see that weird shit that they were doing in the '90s? Just trying, like, okay, let's look at some old, like, radio pulp heroes. That's and that and and I've mentioned this on this podcast before. I think when we talked Dick Tracy. Um, that the notion, the the thing that Hollywood really got in its bonnet after the success of Batman is not let's make superhero movies. It's let's make movies based on 30s comic strips because Batman was a 30s comic strip. I actually had as a kid, 
um, three or four collected editions of the Batman strips from the thirties. Um, and I fucking love those things, including the first ever appearance of the Joker was in a comic strip, not in a comic book. Um, like there's, there's, and he dies at the end of his first appearance and they, they had to kind of retcon that to bring him back. Cause he proved so popular, but like, so you get Dick Tracy, you get the shadow, you get the phantom, like you get these kind of weird pulp heroes from the thirties and forties. But again, that's the, the old men in Hollywood. That was the things that they grew up with. Like Warren Beatty in his fifties and sixties making Dick Tracy. Like I loved Dick Tracy when I was a kid growing up. Like I loved those stories. I loved reading them in the newspaper. Why wouldn't I want to make a Dick Tracy movie? Um, I guess see, our, see our previous episode on Dick Tracy. I guess that's why the nostalgia train just keeps on rolling because mm-hmm. you know, new generations of Hollywood bigwigs come through and they're nostalgic for the stuff they liked as a kid. So they're exactly green light more of the stuff similar to what they liked as a kid. And Except now it's instead of doing the similar thing, it's let's just do the exact same thing. Like let's not do an homage to Star Wars. Let's just do Star Wars again. Let's reboot Star Wars. Let's not, you know, do something let's not do a slasher similar to nightmare on Elm street and Friday the 13th. Let's just reboot nightmare on Elm street and reboot Friday the 13th on the plus side that gives us plenty of fodder for future episodes. But you know, on the downside, it feels like there's nothing new under the sun anymore. And when something new does come out, we're, we're kind of like grasping at it. Like, you know, like people in the middle of a desert for water. Yeah. It, it, Cause franchises between the point where, you know, people nostalgic for the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. were making stuff to now. In between those two points, franchises became a big thing. So mm. so now they can just be like, like you said, why why make something similar to these things I loved? They're franchises. Let's just keep making them. Let's mm-hmm. just reboot those things I love. Um, and, you know, to, to mostly not non-success. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would say the successes are f- fewer and further between than the than the failures. And again, that, that's good for us because it gives us stuff to talk about. But, you know, yeah. not not so good for, you know, original filmmaking in Hollywood, because it seems like Hollywood just continues to take the wrong lessons from these things. Yeah, it's not. Let's put an original spin on this thing. It's just let's just do that again. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, there's still there's if you know where to look, there's hidden gems. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we talk about a lot of those here on this podcast, too. Yeah, aforementioned everything everywhere all at once. Absolutely. That Fantastic. that thing is a fucking masterpiece. Uh, Barbarian came out earlier this year. That movie was phenomenal. Um, yeah, does it really hold up on repeated viewings? Or if you think about it too hard? Well, um, I mean, just just surrender yourself to the, to once the film. The, right? Once the novelty of that movie wears off, the rating drops a little bit. Sure. And I mean, and there's, there, there are a lot of movies like that for me. Like I, you know, some things are, are great the first couple of times and then they lose something on subsequent rewatch. Like the Joss Whedon Avengers was one of those for me. Like I really liked it the first couple of times I saw it. And then the more I rewatched it, the more I was like, I don't know, it's just not doing it for me anymore. Like just that it's, you know, that, that, that kind of economic principle, the more you have of something, the less you want it. Um, just, yeah, the law of diminishing returns is, is kind of what it, what it turns into. Um, for whatever reason, that doesn't hold up with the MCU for me. God knows. I don't know why. Uh, I never get tired of that shit. Like I say all the time, inject that right into my veins. Yeah. You, you, and you, the, the, the MC, you are to the MCU, what Barney Gumble is to Duff beer. 
just hook it directly to your veins. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And look, man, it that is okay. It is fine to like a thing. Uh, I like all sorts of things. Um, and, you know, I still do have some love for the MCU. I just like other things too. And I want other things. I don't want the same five types of movies to get made all the time. I don't want to keep seeing rehashes and retreads of things I liked when I was a kid. Like I'm the kind of fan who doesn't want to be pandered to like, don't pat me on the head and tell me how good I am for liking this thing that you also happen to like, you know, tell me a good story with it. And then I might come along on the journey with you, but don't, don't talk down to me. Like I'm a child. I'm, I'm a grown ass man. Please. And thank you. Well, I think part of that is your problem. If you think you're being I, talked down to, like, I don't know, like sometimes it's pandering. Don't get me wrong. You have some of a point there. I don't think you're always being talked down to just because they're, you know, there's a difference between nostalgia bait and having reverence for the source material. Sure. But I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I tend to not have reverence for those things. Kill kill your idols, man. Like, well, that's... no, yeah, we we've been over this millions we've, of times. Yeah, this, so we've we've rehashed this so many times. I'm, I'm embarrassed we're talking about it again. I mean, frankly. look, it keeps coming up because it's such a ubiquitous thing in Hollywood. It's hard to it, ignore. It and it's something that you and I happen to differ on. So when it comes yeah. up, it's at least going to be interesting to talk about for five minutes. So. Yeah, uh, you know, bring up Ghostbusters Afterlife, and we'll talk about it for like a half hour. No, uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make that mistake again. Well, no, no, not anymore. Long, we, don't, but, yeah. we don't do that anymore. But no. there was there was a time. There was a time. Uh, um, and when Firehouse comes out, if that ends up being its name, I'm sure we'll have the same conversation. Mm, um, probably. I just or have to make sure. I, I just want to be like I don't want to talk about it and just not. I look, man. I I have a feeling I'm not going to want to talk about that with you. But you know, no, I, I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to invite you to come <laughs> see it with me again. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Um, I just remember how disappointed you were that I loved Scream 22 and didn't like Ghostbusters Afterlife. I just remember how completely befuddled you were at the end of at the after after the end of Scream 22. There's no past tense on that sentence. I still am. I, don't, <laughs> I still don't get the difference in your head. You were being pandered to in both cases. Well, you weren't in Ghostbusters. That's I think maybe that's the difference. Like you don't have any emotional connection to Ghostbusters whatsoever. You're right. I don't. So, of course, you're going to be more scrutinous about his nostalgia bait. I'm putting air quotes there. That's what you sure. said. Um, not me. Uh, but that's the difference, probably. You like Maybe. Scream more. You have I like Scream. Scream. Scream's one of my franchises. Like, I don't have a yeah. lot, but that's one of mine, for yeah. sure. So Maybe that's the difference. But it's still kind of your arguments for why you hate one and like the other are kind of identical. And that doesn't make any sense in my brain. I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we can dig into that behind the paywall. Maybe that's something our patrons might want to hear. Uh, no, Patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Even the patrons have heard that too the much. Poor patrons. Think of the patrons, Steven. Think, think of the poor the people patrons. giving us money. Let's also uh, think about our current listening audience and go back to talking about blank men, please. Man. Um, yeah, no, I let's talk about the cast of Blank Man a little bit because I yeah, really honestly, I want to talk man. about I want to talk about Lynn Thigpen because yes, the great uh, Lynn Thigpen, um, may she live forever. Um, I because that damn as the chief and where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Correct. 
Uh, I say may she live forever. She sadly passed in 2003. Um, doesn't oh, yeah. mean I don't. She she lives forever in our hearts. Uh, I thought you were just doing a rest of power thing. Uh, I thought you knew. Uh, no, no, I I I did uh, not. Um, yeah. That's that's why IMDb is such a handy tool. Um, she's been dead a while. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost twenty years now. Um, but no, I I'm such a I, I such a fan of hers. Like um, loved her in Carmen San Diego. That I think again, that's the thing that I most think of her uh, on. But she had really even before that just an incredible career honestly um uh just in in so many things she's she is i believe i want to i think this is accurate i want to double check my work on this but i believe that she is the dj in the warriors a future episode of this podcast the warriors from 1979 yes she is the dj in in the warriors she's in godspell i'm I'm a musical guy i love godspell she's in tootsie uh streets of fire uh another future episode of this podcast streets of fire um but like lean on me like she's just has such an incredible career uh and then just again to kids our age was the chief um, for, for four years on where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Every, every afternoon we'd tune in to listen to Rockapella and Lynn Thigpen uh, help us learn geography. Like how yeah. great. It's fantastic. And I watched a little like mini documentary on YouTube about it a while back. And she, she loved that shit. She loved it. She got to help educate kids. And mm-hmm. like, she's, she stuck with that show through every episode. Yeah, and she and, fought for the, the the role to do that. Like she, right? She loved it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, nothing, nothing but respect for for Lynn Thigpen. Honestly, like I, I, I cannot say the great Lynn Thigpen and put enough emphasis on the word great because I think she is she's so phenomenal, and she doesn't get much to do in this movie, but she's maybe got my favorite moment in the entire film which is when she calls out John Polito for having a tiny penis. Um, just like w- the withering stare that she gives him. Like you can absolutely imagine that he would try to come back and kill her because you don't come back from that. Like you have no other recourse after Lynn Thigpen insults your manhood to that degree. That's true. But I mean, I would say she's maybe the most important part of this movie. Uh, oh, absolutely. She's she's uh, she's the catalyst. She's she's the dead parents in an alleyway. She's exactly. The, you know, she's tragic the, backstory. She she's the dead woman that that makes the hero. Um, you know, calls the hero to action. Um, that 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 tired trope. But yeah, well, that's called fridging. Uh, and yep. so I guess you could technically say she gets fridged in this movie. Yeah, that tracks. Actually, I yeah. didn't think about that, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, which which is sad. Um, I I still think she's great in what she has to do. Honestly, uh, I also want to call out my my boy John Polito, um, previously discussed on this podcast in um, the Rocketeer, and also um, in the Crow. And he is he is also in the Crow, which also came out in 1994. His other 1994, uh, the Hudsucker Proxy, which um, I don't care what you say, that's a fun movie. Uh, yeah, it is. You know, for kids. Um, but he was a, a an almost constant, um, almost constantly working with the Coens. Uh, he's also another movie that we're going to talk about on this podcast one day that he's in. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. Um, fuck, I love John Polito. Like 
his his Cohen's work is maybe some of his best, but that man just kind of quietly did great character work for decades. Like his first film appearance is in 81. Uh, and then he was working right up until his death in 2016. Like the man was just, was, was phenomenal. was so great. Um, he's a top tier nineties, that guy actor. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like he is, he's one of the ones that you think of when you think of a nineties, that guy, um, Unlike someone like a, a Philip Seymour Hoffman who kind of outgrew his that guy status, John Polito seemed to just bathe in that stuff. Um, absolutely loved it. Um, and I fucking love John Polito. And he is he's so good as the villain in this movie. And I think he is in the long line of like actors playing villains who know exactly what movie they're in. I think he falls there very, very well. Like he is he's playing the right level of campiness. Um, just the right level of, of sinister. Like, I think he hits those, those moments really, really well. And I, I think he's for my money, one of the best performances in the movie, maybe not the best. I might have to give that one to Lynn, but, um, but John, Johnny boy, maybe, maybe a very close second for me. Yeah. I mean, his, his, his best scene to kind of encapsulate all of that is when he comes out of the hole in the bank. Mm -hmm. Talks about not many people would break out of prison. Not even less would do it in set. Right. Takes a real man to do it in satin. It's a real man to do it in satin. Just just chewing the scenery, doing the right amount of like 60s Batman villain. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, doing a bank heist dressed weird. So dressed more, in a, smoking ja a purple smoking jacket. Yeah. So even more 60s Batman villain of him. So perfect. Like so fucking perfect. Yeah. It, it It's just kind of, again, one of those very much one of those chef's kiss kind of moments where you're. Yeah. It, you you get the right actor in the right role and you're going to have a great time. Like, and that's what you get when you cast John Polito here, the guy does sleazy really well. Um, something I learned about John Polito openly gay. No, that's cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, I actually married his, uh, married his partner in 2015. Um, they had been together for like 15 years and, uh, a year before he died, he, he married his partner. Um, that's and awesome. I kind of love that. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I also kind of love that in this movie, when uh, the reporter asks him if he's gay, he pulls out a gun and shoots him. Um, and when you get the subtext that John Polito is actually gay, it, it I don't know. I think it's its a little, I think that's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, it rides the line between funny it and of its time. Uh, yeah. It's again, it's right up there with gay man in this movie. The, with the, the leather daddy look it's kind of like, well, yeah, but you know, and then you get John Polito in the man who knew, uh, the man who knew too much. And is that what it is? No, it's the man who knew too little. No, that's no, it's the, the Coen brothers movie. Uh, um, the man who wasn't there. Uh, okay. The man who wasn't there. Those, those um, are completely different films. Correct. Yeah. All three of those very different films. They, all three of them. Very different. Right. At least the um, first two had similar names. <laughs> well, it's the man who they all start with the man who <laughs> uh, the man who knew too much is Hitchcock. Uh, the man who wasn't there is Cohen's. And then the man who knew too little is Bill Murray. Um, so, you know, there you go. that's like the nadir of Bill Murray, honestly. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, no, the, the drama he did after that, he got financed after Ghostbusters. 
Oh, the that's, Razor's Edge? Yeah, Razor's Edge. That's the Nadir Bill Murray. I've not seen that. I can't comment. You don't uh, have I just, to. You don't I have just to. Know, it has its own reputation. Uh, I just know his career kind of was in a in a fallow period there. That was the mo- the the one where he made the the movie about him and the elephant going cross country. Um yeah, not a not a lot of uh good Bill Murray movies in the nineties, uh or at least in the later part of the nineties there. Until you get lost in translation. Yeah. Yeah. Groundhog Day is kind of where it cuts off, I think, mm-hmm. 90s wise. And then everything mm-hmm. after that until Lost is fine or not fine. Yeah, I was going to say maybe Depending. less than fine. Less than fine. Yeah. Yeah. And then given given what's coming out in the news lately about Bill Murray. Yeah, you know, I'm just not surprised anymore. It's kind of hard not to be. And I mean, you know, if you have a reputation for being an asshole, for that long that maybe that's warranted on some level. So yeah, I'm sorry to say, look, me too. I just really wish, you know, I really wish they weren't that Ackroyd and Ramos weren't so dead set on getting him back for the sequels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, but, but again, then what, what would, what would a Ghostbusters movie be without him though? I I think we're going to find out. We're going to find out in the next one. Yep. Which is good. So, yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, so um, Black Man is what we're talking about. Black um, Man, back on track. So what uh, we're, we're, I mean, it's it's the disenfranchised podcast. Of course, we're going to hit some tangents on the way. Um, what do you think of the two lead performances by uh, Damon Wayans and David Allen Greer? No, no, they're fine, I guess. I don't really have strong opinions either way. To be honest with you, they're they're both just kind of doing the same thing they always seem to do. Maybe not Damon Wayans so much. Damon Wayans has seems to have a little bit more range. He's well, um, he is good at crafting characters, and yeah. so you've got like that that that's kind of one of his strong suits. And I think what made him well suited to sketch comedy like SNL in, in Living Color is his ability to craft and create distinct characters. And he's definitely doing a character here. Like, but it's, it feels like a, it feels like an in living color sketch. It feels like a Saturday night live sketch. It doesn't, it, it honestly, this movie I think has more in common with maybe the, the Saturday night live movies that were getting made in the nineties. Um, future episodes of this podcast, like Coneheads and it's Pat and superstar and not future episodes like Wayne's world. I think it has more in common with those than it does with the actual superhero films that are getting made around this time. Yeah, probably. It, as aforementioned, not a whole lot of really superhero movies to, to draw inspiration and parody from. So yeah, it feels more like that. I think I even, I don't know. I thought this was a living. It started as an element color sketch first. For some reason, there was he did play a hero called Handyman, which feels very um, oh, again, yeah. of its time. Uh, um, sure, we'll say yeah, that. Um, we'll say that. That's maybe maybe we'll be generous and say that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that that's a very different character. But again, um, and, and again, maybe why is it they didn't adapt that? I did read somewhere that the script was originally supposed to be for Howard Stern and his Fartman character. Oh, and then when when he which would have been awful. And then when he passed on that, they re retooled it for Damon Wayans. Um, but I I am sure 
Damon Wayans, yeah, has a writing credit on this screenplay. Um, so I think it was the original screenwriter, J.F. Lawton, and then Damon Wayans kind of basically took it over and kind of redid it with his own, with his own take. Um, I will say that I like David Allen Greer just as a performer. Um, I think he's really underrated and undersung. I really like what he does. Um, and I, I think he is, he's a really great utility player. Um, like him and I think an actor, another actor, I just actually, I just watched pop star, never stop, never stopping for the first time this morning. And Tim Meadows kind of occupies that same kind of space in that movie that I like to see David Allen Greer in that kind of really great utility player who can deliver your one liners and absolutely kill them, but is also really comfortable playing the straight man if he needs to, which I think is exactly the zone that he finds himself in, in this movie, which again, that's, that's a zone I like David Allen Greer in. Yeah, I can't say I've seen him in enough to really agree or disagree with that statement. So Fair take enough. that as it will. And and again, he's he's one of those that came up a lot at, at you know as a kid when I was watching you know movies in the nineties. Like that was kind of his that was kind of his play space. Like he's in Jumanji. Uh, he plays the cop in Jumanji, um, who was the guy who was actually working in the factory. Uh, at the beginning who, who he gets fired for taking the fall uh, for him and then, and then becomes the cop. Like, and, and he just, he just kind of shows up in things um, and he's really good in all of them. But again, I think he's, uh, he's in the, <laughs> I forgot he was in the Polly Shore film in the army now um, plays himself in Robert Altman's the player. Like he's just, he just shows up in things. And I think he is, he's very good in, in what, at what he does. Um, I, I read an interview with him where he's kind of doing one of those career retrospectives that they do with actors a lot. And he's talking a little bit about blank man and was kind of like, yeah, it was what everybody who made a superhero movie in the nineties says, yeah, it wasn't like it is today. Like these things were just kind of these small little almost throwaway kind of things. And he's like, I don't really, you know, like the, the modern superhero movies, but that being said, cast me in them. Like he's, he's just kind of like, look, I, 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 I'll take that paycheck. And you know what? David Ongar, you get that money, buddy. Um, but I mean, that that's kind of, you know, I most of the time when I see people talking about the superhero movies, like, yeah, I don't really care for those. But, you know, if they want to cast me in one, I'll, I'll take the job. Absolutely. Like, I like paychecks. <laughs> those are nice. Residuals on those things have probably got to be great. So, yeah, I'll take it. Absolutely. Yeah. Your moral compass goes out the window when there's a large paycheck involved. Well, I mean, look, if you're a working actor, you've got to take jobs you don't like. That's part of the gig, right? Like you're, you, you can't believe in every project that you do unless you're, you know, someone like Christian Bale who can take whatever, whatever he's offered. Um, you know, you don't get to do those kind of weird esoteric projects unless you have, if you're just a working actor. Yeah. Those paychecks are nice, man. Well, look, don't get it twisted. I'm not judging them. I would do the same thing <laughs> and I'm not even a working actor. You pay me sure. enough money. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Sure. But yeah. And so, you know, David Allen Greer, you get that money, but, and honestly, I just like seeing him work. Uh, he was in, uh, the show, uh, the TV show that was on the air. Um, what was it called? The cool kids, I think with, uh, Leslie Jordan, who just recently passed away. Um, but, but he was on that show for, for the season that it ran. Um, it was, I think him, Leslie Jordan, Vicky Lawrence, and was it, Martin Mull. It was Martin Mull. Yeah. So just kind of, it was supposed to take place in like a, like a senior care facility, but, um, 
but yeah, the four of them were the quote unquote, the titular cool kids. Um, I didn't watch it. My parents said they liked it, but yeah. David Allen Greer, keep working, man. I love see. I love, I love it when you pop up and things, keep it up, keep, keep, keep making that money. Um, but uh, Damon Wayans is kind of the interesting one because again, he was really having a moment in the mid nineties and then he just kind of falls off. He goes to TV in the year 2000 and does my wife and kids. Um, he does that show for about five years. That show was actually uh, pretty, pretty popular at the time. Um, even though I myself didn't really watch it, but they're in the, the mid nineties, he's kind of killing the game. It's in living color. Um, last boy scout, Mo money. Um, homie. There's apparently a homie D clown video game, which I did not know about. Did you know about this, Brad? No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, you are our video game guy. I figured you might, uh, cameo in the last action hero, blank man, major pain. Um, the, the lesser known Celtic pride, which stars him and your boy, Dan Aykroyd. Um, and, um, the, the great white hype, um, bulletproof, which is him and Adam Sandler. Um, a few years later, he's in Spike Lee's bamboozled. Like he's, he has this kind of really great run in the mid nineties and then goes to TV for a few years and then just kind of cashes the residual checks for a few years. Um, he shows up in farce of the penguins, which is a parody of March of the penguins. Uh, he's in an episode of happy endings as the father of his real life son, Damon Wayans jr. Um, and then he's currently, or I guess was, I guess up until 2019, he was Roger Murtaugh in the lethal weapon series, like the TV show they did based on lethal weapon. Uh, so he did that for a number of years as well, which kind of fun. Sure. Yeah, good for him. I'm glad he's still working. Yeah. And that that's his currently his last credit. There is an upcoming film uh, uh, that he's apparently in called Cinnamon, which is in post-production, but I don't know to what degree um, he is in that. He looks f- he looks fairly high on the cast list. It's uh, him and Pam Greer are the one and two, which I you, you love to see Pam Greer and stuff, too. Yeah, look, um, Mr. Wayans. Can I call you Damon? Um, I know you're a listener. Um, avid fan. Avid fan. Look, give us a Blank Man reboot. Or Please. Blank Man requel. Something. I kind of want to see a dark and gritty Blank Man. I think that would be really funny. I think it would, yeah. Now's like, the time. And honestly, cast Damon Wayans Jr. as... Son as, of Blank Man. As, yeah, son of Blank Man. Uh, him and Robin Givens' as kid. Um, who was raised instead of the, on the sixties, Batman was raised on the, the 89 Tim Burton, Batman. Um, I think there's comedic potential there. Damon, Damon Wayans Jr. By the way, plays young David Allen Greer in this movie, uh, which I think is great. Like Damon Wayans kids play young Damon Wayans and young David Allen Greer in the opening scene of this movie, which I think is really funny. That, that is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I kind of would dig a Blank Man reboot. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think there's enough potential in the premise of this movie that you could absolutely revisit this. Um, and I think I, I, for one, would have a lot of fun with it. I don't know if there's enough nostalgia for it, I think might be the problem. But I think in some way that makes it more fun, honestly. And just, just yeah. call it Blank Man again. Yeah, or Son of Blank Man. Uh, or son blank, of blank. blank Man 2, Son of Blank Man. 
There you go. Um, well, I, that's that's kind of a, a mask too situation. Son of son of the mask. I mean that that's been like a tropey naming convention forever. So sure. Blank two son of blank has been yeah. like a naming convention forever, man. Sure. My favorite just, is blank two hyper blank. That's that's my favorite. The the cube. Yeah. Cube right. two hyper cube. I like that. I one. mean nothing nothing will ever beat. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, skating? Is it skating? skating breaking? Two? Breaking? Breaking two. two? Electric Boogaloo? Yeah, that's that's my favorite. Yeah, it's a shame the it's a shame the uh, the the Nazis kind of stole that one from us, but. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, you didn't know that. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I hate to be the one to tell you that, man. We we can't we can't use that one anymore. Bring that one down. Uh, sorry. I would I would have agreed with you up until the Nazis took it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's fine. Nobody gets the joke anymore anyway. Uh, Fair. It's it's an obscure movie from the 80s. Like, of course not. Um, Robin Gibbons. Got it to begin with, so. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, Robin Gibbons is in this movie. Uh, love Robin Gibbons. She's great. Um, she was in Head of the Class is how I, how I know her. Um, but uh, yeah, Robin Gibbons uh, was married to Mike Tyson and... Um, he, uh, yeah, that, that whole thing was kind of contentious. Um, man, there's just a whole lot of landmines talking about this movie, huh? Wait, look, man, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, man. Um, it, some of it, some of it kind of shitty. Um, not gonna lie, man, but it, it feels disingenuous to not bring it up, but yeah. Well. Um, I don't know if you needed to bring up the Mike Tyson thing for Robin Givens. You just could have talked about her film history. I mean, she's got, she, look, she's fantastic. The, a couple years before this, she's in the Eddie, Eddie Murphy movie, uh, Boomerang. The year before that, she's in the, the Bill Duke film, Rage in Harlem. Um, she's, of course, best known for Head of the Class. Um, but she she's she's in Head of State, um, which I think is the, that's the Chris Rock movie, right? Yeah, that's the Chris Rock movie. Um, like, she... She she's a really great performer that I really, really enjoyed. Um, She's been in a lot of great was in the like I said, head of the classes where I first knew her. Um, She was on an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel Air, um, was a part of the show in the house, um, which was a sitcom starring LL Cool J that I certainly remember from the 90s. I don't know about you, Um, but yeah, like she's just. She's she's a great performer, and um, I wish she would get some more work. Quite frankly, so apparently there was a a head of the class reboot. What? <laughs> Why am I just now learning about this? Yeah, um, I was not familiar either. Um, you you of course remember the original head of the class, right? Oh uh, yeah, of course. Okay, uh, Howard Hessman and then uh, Billy uh, Billy Connolly took over when yeah. he left the show. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was, that was a show that I, that I watched from time to time growing up, but yeah, that was, that was of course my first exposure to Robin Givens, but yeah, she's also, um, beautiful, just absolutely stunning in this, in this movie and in just about everything she's in, uh, quite frankly. Um, and then of course we would be remiss if we did not bring up Jason Alexander, um, who plays, um, the, the editor in chief, I suppose of hard edition, which is a, very clear parody of hard copy and inside edition, those tabloid journalism shows that were really popular in the nineties that we don't really have much of a context for anymore because they kind of 
they kind of tried to disguise themselves as real journalism and they could not have in fact been further from real journalism. Um, they were effectively a tabloid magazine on your TV, which is essentially what TMZ is now, but they're a little more blatant about it. Yeah. Or to a more extreme extent, weekly world news, weekly world news. Mm. Um, well, so at first I was going to say that shows like that couldn't really exist anymore because the internet is a thing now and you can fact mm-hmm. check. Um, but then I remembered uh, in this in this day and age, anybody that supports Trump or MAGA in general, mm. or maybe I might slightly go so far as to say if you're a Republican, um, you maybe don't know what facts are anymore. Um mm. The case can be made for sure. I feel like you you could do shows like that and just throw them on, I don't know, Fox News, and people would eat that shit up and believe anything you told them. Uh, and I mean, that, that kind of does appear to be the case, honestly. Like, that's um, tragically, like... Truth is uh, a commodity that we really don't talk about much anymore. I'm afraid to say. No, uh, and I and I don't like getting political on here. I'll, I'll shit talk ooh. fanboys all day long, but I don't really want to get political. I'm just going to say, after the midterms, um, if you voted for a Republican and you consider yourself a Republican, don't listen to our show. We don't want you. Please leave. Sorry, guys. I'm not sorry. You, you have associated yourself with the worst scum of the earth. And honestly, um, I, I, I'm kind of surprised that anyone who, who aligns that way listens to us in the first place. Cause we, we get pretty. Yeah. I imagine we, we get pretty blatant. I imagine nobody does, but if you do stop, leave D- disallowed, you're not welcome here. Sorry. Um, but yeah, um, I cosign. Um, Disavowed from disenfranchised. Um, so it's it's. I wish I could say it's been nice knowing you, but fairly well. It hasn't. <laughs> um, but yeah. So um, and and again, I think there are some. Uh, obviously, this movie doesn't overtly set up itself up for a sequel, but you get the the idea that you could absolutely do one. Um, just and pick it up the continuing adventures of blank man and other guy. Um, and other guy keeps, you know, getting shit uh, or maybe other guy like starts to get bigger than blank man, like that old chestnut, that old trope where the, the, the second gets, starts to get bigger and they kind of have to have it out. Um, like thought, to the rise of other guy. Right. The way, the way I thought you would go is just, you know, you've got this guy who's a superhero dressing up with low budget. Now there's a bunch of supervillains, low-budget supervillains. That could be fun, too. And they're over-the-top, goofy 60s Batman villains. This writes itself, really. Really? Uh, Oh, another actor I meant meant to call out and didn't. Uh, John Moshita Jr., speaking of Dick Tracy, uh, we know him as the Micro Machines guy, uh, the world's fastest talker. Uh, according to Guinness Book of World Records, still kicking, by the way, man, still still around. Uh, but he plays uh, Damon Wayans boss, Mr. Crud, and talks at a normal speed, does not talk fast at all, which feels like a missed opportunity to me. But like, I just was excited to see John Moshita on screen, honestly. Yeah, man, that is a uh, he. 
but great guy, but a relic of the nineties for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there was the, the way he was in the FedEx commercials, the micro machines commercials. Um, like anytime you needed someone to talk really quickly, uh, you'd call up John Machida Jr. And boy, howdy, would he do it for you? He is kind of the uh, the let's get ready to rumble guy of the of the early nine days. Like if you needed yeah. someone to do like that specific thing, that's who you call. Yeah. Whereas Michael Buffer, the actual let's get ready to rumble guy, was the let's get ready to rumble guy of the late nineties. Correct. Right. Because he was in fucking everything, and still, honestly, we'll still show up to do any variation on his catchphrase. Yeah, but kind of a dick because if you don't, if you do it without his permission, he copyrighted mm -hmm. that phrase. Apparently, if you yeah, oh yeah, you're paying. He's the, he's, way, look, the way he says it actually is Michael what he copyrighted. Don't get paid. I, I mean, yes, but it's it's on. the same thing that Trump did with the 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 phrase that he had on the the Apprentice. Like every time someone says that on TV, he gets paid too. Like I, that's bullshit. But there it is. You are no longer employed. Correct. Which is why when Arnold did it, they had to change it to you're terminated. Um, well, look, to be fair, that's funnier. Agreed. And definitely more in fitting with, with Arnold. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so this movie comes out in uh, August, uh, August 19th of 1994. Um, and uh, it, it, it opens at number 11 in the box office. So um yeah, not uh, not a great showing uh, at this point, um, but uh, but yeah, there it is. Um, it it ultimately it opens to three point seven million dollars, uh, and then ends up making a grand total of seven point four million dollars. So it has already earned um, over half of what it's going to make during its entire box office run. So not a good multiplier. Word of mouth, not out for this one um again it's, it's crazy about these movies sometimes is like they feel like they were everywhere they were heavily promoted mm -hmm. in my memory they were all over tv like you know i watched this movie a million times tangentially in the background like but yet nobody cared mm -hmm. when, it, when it hit the box office nobody cared correct it's weird yep yeah. And, I mean, and again, that was kind of the thing. Like, this is one of those movies that was promoted to kids a lot. People our age, maybe a little older, and um, they just didn't show up for it. Uh, again, you're banking on the fact that this is the star of In Living Color, and it turns out no one really cares. Um, yeah, which which, is, which, by the way, really quick, um, we did mm. sort of do it already, but I didn't really call it out. Oh, um, yes. Sorry. Does, does this movie deserve a sequel? The, the new segment that we should have been doing from the beginning? Right. Does, does this movie deserve a sequel? I feel like we agreed that it did. Yeah, you know? I think I think we would both, even though we're not like super effusively positive on this movie, like we're, we're able to recognize the flaws of this movie. Um, I still think it would be fun to have a sequel to this movie. I kind of would love to see a Blank Man franchise, mainly because it would just be so different from the superhero franchises that we have right now, honestly. Which I think is... the that's why it would be so good. It's, that's you know, the appeal, yeah. We have the dark, gritty parody in The Boys. Let's do mm -hmm. the lighthearted, goofy parody and have a new blank man. I mean, technically we had that with The Tick, but um, that um, may, it, may it rest in peace. But yeah. Sure. Look, 
for some reason, the tick just can't ever get off the ground, no matter how hard it tries. I, which is a shame for those of us that love the tick. And honestly, I loved the the Serafinowicz um, Newman take on the tick and Arthur. I thought that was really fun. Um, and if you've not watched the Amazon Prime, the two seasons of the Amazon Prime, the tick, um, do it because it's great. Unless you're like me and know that it gets canceled and maybe some storylines don't get wrapped up and don't because you don't want that disappointment in your life. Um, but then you realize, you know what? You're you're depriving yourself of some some really good uh, really good television in the meantime. So I mean, yeah, that might upset me for the like couple minutes I'm thinking about it. But then, you know, my brain will move on to something else as it does. And uh, yeah, your 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 brain is good at that for sure. Um, Brett, this box office is kind of wild. Um, in, in number one, it is the eventual Academy Award winning film of 1994. It is a future episode of this podcast. It is, I think, also the highest grossing film of 1994. It is Forrest Gump. Uh, yes, Forrest Gump, a movie we will cover on this podcast one day. It was um, supposed to get a sequel, ladies and gentlemen. It, well, they wrote a book. They There was a sequel book called Gump and Company. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll get there. Or, or um, company, as 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 you call oh, it, company, company. Oof, that that was terrible. I love it. It's terrible. Um, in second place, uh, Harrison Ford in Clear and Present Danger, uh, one of the Jack Ryan films. Uh, in third place, uh, Jim Carrey, uh, Damon Wayans is in Living Color co-star. Uh, honestly, having like the greatest year any actor has ever had ever in 1994 uh, with The Mask which in four weeks has grossed $82.8 million. Um, in fourth place, a movie I have never heard of, Color of Night, starring Bruce Willis, apparently. Um, that that was a movie that that exists, apparently. What if there um, was a color of night? What if, what if night had a color? Um, in fifth place, past episode of this podcast, True Lies. Uh, we love it. Um, yeah. In six, sorry? Yes, yes, I was agreeing with you. Okay, good. I, I I agree with your agreement. Um, in fourth or in eighth or in sixth place, rounding out the top ten, we've got in sixth place mentioned previously the Little Rascals. Uh, we've got the Client, um, Lion King, which has so far grossed two hundred and fifty one point four million dollars in ten weeks. Uh, also previously mentioned on this episode uh, in the Army Now, and in tenth place. Um, what if, what if a little girl had a seal and what if that seal's name, Brett was Andre. Oh, Andre. Oh, Andre. And then of course, a blank man coming in at 11th place in 12th place. I should also mention Brett, uh, past episode of this podcast, Maverick. Hey, love to see it. So there you go. Go, go watch our episode or listen to our episode. Watch like we're a visual medium. Go listen to our episode on Maverick. Um, the tomatometer score on this one is a 12%, Yikes. which feels rude. Um, no critics consensus on this one either. Um, just gonna leave it at 12, like, oof, big damn oof on that one. Uh, there is no meta score on this movie either. And then of course the letterboxed score is a 2.4 Brett out of a possible five stars. What do you rate 1994's blank man? I am just 0.1 above the average with a 2.5. I'm right there with you, man. It's a 2.5 for me too. Like I, the things I liked about this movie and you know, a couple things I didn't mention, I, I felt like this movie 
felt very unfocused to me. Um, the stuff with J five did not work with me at all. There's a robot sidekick also in this movie for some uh, reason. We didn't mention that, but yeah, we did not mention that at all. His head is two flashlights and uh, a pom pom and then a ball cap. Um, like it, it, it's fucking weird. Um, but yeah, like this, there, there, this movie seems, feels very unfocused in a lot of very weird ways. And I think the things that work in this movie work really well. And the things that don't work, don't work well at all. And unfortunately this movie is kind of the mix of those two. And so what comes out, is kind of just a straight down the middle. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, uh, objectionable material. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, wrong then wrong now, take it with as much salt as you need. But, um, this, this might not be for you. It might be for you. I don't know. But what do you think of blank man? Let us know. Disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about it. Uh, should two white guys be talking about blank man? Probably not. Um, I agree with you. Um, we probably shouldn't. Okay. Come on. Yes, you're right. But at the same time, look, something like people need to be talking about diversity in film. Okay. Agreed. And I think it's a good thing. Even if we are two white guys that maybe aren't qualified, more people should be talking about diversity in film. Agreed. Agreed. And you know, um, more, more African Americans in film, more Asian Americans in film, more Asians in film, more black people in general in film. Like let's, and more women of all color in film. Women, women of all colors, and more, more gay and trans representation in film. Also, please and thank you. Basically, um, anything that's not a cishet white guy. More of yes, that, please, 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 and thank you. Um, we've had our time. It, it's, yes. it's over. We, we're, we're good. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Um, but yeah. So. Um, yeah, let us know, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up, our Patreon, as I mentioned before, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Um, our buddy Tucker and I sat down and talked about our thoughts on Weird, colon, the Al Yankovic story. That's going to be dropping on the Patreon later this month. Uh, so check that out, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. And if you want to know my opinion, I also really enjoyed it. Uh, we actually, Tucker shouts out your your score on on that episode. So wonderful. Fantastic. He, loved he it. wanted to, he wanted to make loved, sure you were represented also. Loved, loved every second of it. Thought it was great. I might, I might bump it up to a four and a half. Honestly, the more. I'm wow. Sad oh, okay. The more I'm sad with it. I think I might like it a little bit better than UHF. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it got a four for me. I thought it was great, but yeah. Which um, by the way, real quick, did you catch the UHF reference at the beginning? Maybe I didn't. Uh, when he when he first arrives in L.A. and he's taking the number off of the bulletin board. Yes, and he's yeah, he's karate. There's an African karate, karate yeah. next to the yeah. I I did catch that. Yes, I did. Fantastic. Um, yeah, you'll love to see it. Um, but yeah, check out our last episode on UHF, and then check out our commentary on the original weird the weird the Al Yankovic story trailer, which is on our Patreon right now, and then upcoming uh, Tucker and I discussion on that that self same film. Um, uh, also, while you're out there supporting us, maybe you don't want to throw some money our way, and that's cool. If Honestly, if you want to support us and you don't want to spend any money doing it, swing on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a nice five-star rating and review. We, we beg you a lot. Uh, and honestly, I never really left them until I became a podcaster and realized how important those were for getting you out there. So please and thank you. That would absolutely help us 
to such an incredible degree. Um, we're on all your social media platforms, uh, including the the dying Twitter. Um, we're gonna we're gonna be there till the lights go out, mainly because it's just me. Um, but uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Disenfranch Pod. I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter. Yes, I'm still there. Instagram and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can we find you on social media? Not on Twitter, that's for damn sure. Um, Instagram and Letterboxd at sus underscore warlock. And that, my friends, is our episode on 1994's Blank Man. Uh, so until next time, where we're kicking off another another mini series next week, Brett. That'll be exciting. Huzzah. So until next week, uh, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy for my co-host, Brett Wright and myself. I still would like to speak to the commissioner. <laughs>